great place for a singles weekend, huh, guys? Yeah, we could take our dates for a swim in the ever-popular Aztec Pool of Death. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, Episode 7, for the week of November 22nd, 2010. My name is David T. Cole, call sign Audible. This is Joe Reed, call sign Coax. This is Tara Ariano, call sign Blizzard. Yay! All right, everybody, at ease. I'm glad that went well. Our first take didn't go so well. Oh my god. I had some little containment troubles in the laughter department. So... Um, Joe. Yes. Uh, Joe, uh, Yojo. <laughs> Thematic. I like it. How did we come across the topic of talking about G.I. Joe? I forget. I think it was, uh, when I brought up that they're showing the reruns on that, uh, weird new cable channel called Hub. The Hub. Yes. Right. Um, and I know, I know G.I. Joe was one of those weird pop cultural childhood things that we both have in common. It was probably the number one like childhood obsession of mine i think it was right in the exact sweet spot when those cartoons were airing Mm -hmm. and i had all the toys i had all the whatever would go on uh fridays when my dad would take us to video factory and rent the vcr oh and so my my Uh, front loading or top loading uh this was a front loading so Mm -hmm. we were corded remote or nope no we were top of the line yeah um, but so my allotment of, of video cassettes was always, uh, GI Joe. Yeah. And I think my brother would get GI Joe as well. And then my sister would get Jem. Uh-huh. <laughs> three of us would yep. have a Friday night. Who, who is basically the female GI Joe. Well, yeah. She is truly outrageous. Truly, Let me ask you truly, this about your video outrageous. store out of curiosity. Uh, my video store, which was the Thorold Video Center. Yeah. Um, was a little small mom and pop place. I think as probably they all were at that time. I'm not quite sure when the blockbuster chains came in or uh, in our area. Jumbo, Jumbo. video. <laughs> yeah. um, but they had, they would every month print out new double-sided sheets of paper with every movie in the store with a number beside it so that you can take it home, circle all the ones you wanted when you rented the VCR plus seven movies package yeah. or whatever it was. Did they have those there too? Um, Is that universal or... I don't remember specifically yeah. the... Uh, I, I, I left that to my dad. He I distinctly remember the first time that uh, I convinced my parents to go ahead and rent a VCR. With yeah. Me. And so there were three of us in the house, and I think there was like seven movies, so I got to pick two or three or whatever it was. And like, I remember it was The Dark Crystal, Star Wars, and something else. But I remember actually as a really young kid, probably like six or seven just because of a novelty of sitting through a movie at home, watching the entirety of Gandhi twice. <laughs> I knew that was it. Yeah. I, I was waiting for the Gandhi detail because yeah. I knew I've heard that story before. Yeah, yeah. I and, still have never seen Gandhi and I'm an alleged adult. Huh. Nope. I actually have never seen Gandhi. Either. You know what's not, not like Gandhi in any way whatsoever? What's that? G.I. Joe. That's true. <laughs> Although it's Gandhi exact and Destro in a lot both of ways. bald. True. That's true. True. So... I don't think Destro was a pacifist, although no. I, I am not as Quite familiar the with fact. the so mythology was, of the show. I, I am also well-versed in G.I. Joe. It was I was probably, truthfully, too old. Sure. Air quotes, too old <laughs> at that time. You know, like, it was one of those things, like, uh, there was two things in my childhood I remember 
not sharing with my friends that, that I act. One was watching G.I. Joe. I was sort of like, maybe the first season was okay. By the second season, I was too old. Yeah. And the other one was, I love Transformer toys. Like, they were so cool. This sure. Back yeah. when they were actually were cool, they were metal and they were really oh, yeah, well made. Could... And like, how the hell did yeah. what voodoo is this? You know? <laughs> and uh, and and GI Joe was was definitely one of those. I'm yeah. Like, but it really does appeal to like kind of that super nerdy, organized, possibly OCD. Kid, yes. You know? I was absolutely thinking about that when we when uh, we started talking about doing the show. Is what drew me to GI Joe and not other things. And I think I've always been drawn towards those shows with. Uh, or whatever, like shows, uh, like comic book. Like I always yeah. like the X Men. Lots of different characters mm-hmm. with lots of different weird characteristics. I always liked Cobra better because they had the weirdest mix of yeah. like, how are they gonna? Oops, I'm the I'm the eight year old nerd who was like interpersonal dynamics between Cobra's <laughs> command center. But it's true. Like I really love the weird. I mean, looking back at it now, like. Destro and Cobra Commander really were sort of like a gay George and Martha uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, like, but of organized Mm -hmm. evil. Right. Um, (laughs) Which one could argue George and Martha are also. And really, the world needed something like that for its children's entertainment. (laughs) Yes, it did. Um, I don't know. Just so that, that aspect of it appealed to me. And I feel like for a show that was basically a half an hour advertisement for little plastic toys, oh, yeah. they actually put, I mean, it's not quality thought, but they put a lot of thought into weird like mythologies and stories and like characters. I don't know. Like it could have just been something that Simpsons episode was like the Chocobot 6,000 oh, yeah. hour. Mm-hmm. Like it's the joke is correct because it wasn't half an hour to sell a Hasbro toy. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like there was effort put in there to entertain eight-year-old me. And I appreciate that. It was not to say it was sophisticated, just that it was varied. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) For instance, Spirit, the uh, the, uh, American Indian tracker character. The one I watched last night. Complete with... Crying Indian ponytails. Oh, and everything. And, everything. How uh, else are you supposed to tell he's a Native and the American? Eagle, and, and his eagle. eagle. And his freedom. Freedom. His eagle, whose name is Freedom. <laughs> but his toy came with a little uh, opposable eagle that you could, like, whatever, like, clasp to his shoulder. Yep. The one I watched last night, because um, I've been DVRing the episodes off of The Hub, uh, was Roadblock, who is essentially their Muhammad Ali talking yes. character. Uh, goes talks and rhymes. Yeah, he's got he's whatever he's on like chore leave for the weekend, so he goes to visit his parents, who are of course running a mom and pop ribs right, joint. His aunt yeah. and uncle. We watched that <laughs> oh, one too. His aunt and uncle. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> we watched it on. Saturday. Um, they're like little soul food kitchen that's getting that's in danger of getting bought out by evil businessmen backed by Cobra. Yes, they're they they're a soul food kitchen called Red Rocket, situated on the top of a cliff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As it always happens. Getting getting does. menaced by by a motorcycle gang who are a bunch of plants yes. for Cobra. Yes. But that episode also featured another one of my favorite things about G.I. Joe, which was the business front of Cobra was fronted by twin uh, weird, maybe British type <laughs> types named yeah. Tomax and Zaymot, which Zaymot is Tomax spelled backwards, which, as I told you earlier this week, my evil twin for Coax is... Uh, Zayok. Yeah, Zayok. <laughs> and he's sort of similar. Somebody punches him in the gut. I feel it. And yeah. I go down. Um, I don't know. That was just another weird wrinkle yeah. of Cobra. Cobra really had the coolest villains, I have to say. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll just we'll get back to it. 
G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Mm, you know what I love? Sandwiches. Yeah. Now, back to G.I. Joe. <laughs> so, G.I. Joe, yes. this is going back to the beginning, starting with the actual theme of G.I. Joe. Yeah. Which is it's pretty pretty spectacular theme, but also kind of goofy. Oh, yeah. Um, but also sort of puzzling. You know, re-listening to it for the purposes of this podcast. Trying to place them within a practical context. Exactly. Yeah. So let me just play a little bit of the theme for you. Okay. okay. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra the Enemy, fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. So, my first quibble <laughs> is that G.I. Joe, although I know that G.I. Joe, you know, 2.0, I guess what, what this is, you know, this is the reinvention of the G.I. Joe action man action figure from the 1960s, yes. you know, yes. commodified and, you know, expanded. And, right. And now there's terrorists. <laughs> um, he was a guy. G.I. Joe used to be a guy, but no longer. Now G.I. Joe is the code name for the operative force that uh, defends the world from cobra that is true but i will say barbie was also a girl but then in the 1980s she also became a revolutionary army for communist forces in central america (laughs) as a way of selling children on a backdoor uh indoctrination program to make them more sympathetic i will believe that if you can tell me what barbie stands for Because Joe actually stands for something. It's like Joint Operation Enterprise or well, something like that. damn it. I'll get back to you. So, okay. I have no problem with Joe being turned into an organization. Oh, on the contrary, I'm all for it because of the excellent product it produced. Absolutely. But um, the tagline for the show is a real American hero. G.I. Joe, a real American hero. So right. I just can't, you know, you can either have a group or you can have heroes. You know, can't have both. The other thing is that... Quibble acknowledged. The other thing in there that uh, you heard was that the line uh, he fights over land or air it says or air yes he well, fights over land he fights I think it's over land, land and air yes sorry fights over land okay. and air yes which is the same thing well you fight over you fight on land or over but you could say you're you're, well, if you're going over the countryside fine uh, in the movie, look, I don't want to be the, the GI Joe retcon in, in person the, here, but I, I feel like that's fair. In the, on, in the movie, they correct themselves. By the time they did the GI Joe, the animated, the movie, animated movie, the the lyrics change and it's over land, sea, and air. It is land, sea, and air. You're right. Yeah. So, um, and uh, the other thing about the uh, credits that is absolutely spectacular in season one is there's this moment where. Um, one of the Joes, I forget who, I think it was uh, Flynn, uh, zooms in a jetpack, uh, grabs Destro from a uh, station gun, and then they play this homoerotic uh, Destro <laughs> hacky sack game where Flynn throws him to like Roadblock, yes. Roadblock like rotates him and grabs him like and grabs him ass first and throws him into another Joe yes. who then like throws him into a pile of of, of uh, Zartan's dreadnought. So by the end of it, it's just Destro and this like mass of. Of, of man limb and honestly Pretty insensitive good. because you're talking about a man with a prosthetic face so perhaps a little <laughs> sensitivity to the disabled one more thing before we move on from the credits is that you know as a girl i was not conversant with gi joe except as much in as much as my cousin who was two years older than me used to watch it and pat all the toys right but um i was more into strawberry shortcake we're not gonna have an episode about <laughs> that uh but or once- are we 
we're not. Okay. But once we uh, <laughs> we started watching the episodes on the hub, uh, <clears throat> and I got to revisit the actual opening credits for the first time since the 80s, it really is astonishing how good the Venture Brothers parody of the G.I. Joe credits is. And we'll link to it in the show notes, but, but they did a, a similar sort of credit thing for the OSI. Yeah. And... Uh, it's it's like note perfect. It is. It's, it's very affectionate, but also hilarious. Yeah, and in this one they cut off the Destro clones' head, <laughs> and then they flipped them back and between. forth with with airplane wings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, that, that that was made from love. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Good. Um, so, who's your favorite character? Do you think my favorite character, I think, was Zartan. Always. Oh. Who was sort of like, kind of looks like a young Ozzy Osbourne to me. Looks like a young Ozzy Osbourne. He was... Uh, oh, that guy. Chame- chameleonic. He could... Uh, now, okay. Except now, I, I watched like six episodes with him in it. He never did anything like that. Okay, see, this He's is the thing. Like. Because they kept trying to make the claim that he was chameleonic. And every once in a while, his face would like turn blue. Yeah. But <laughs> then he would always employ the same tactic that the Baroness would employ. Which was he would get a finely created rubber mask that could mimic humans exactly so there, there was always like the one character like where is this interesting bureaucrat that we've never seen before and by the end they take off his mask and it's Sartan what and or the Baroness um so actually I, I the Baroness also I have to say was pretty spectacular I also love the Baroness she wasn't even in any of the episodes no we watched she this wasn't weekend. in any of the early ones I think they might have yeah put her in midway through decided to try and even the ranks of girl characters (laughs) have an evil girl girl. as well yeah 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 Yeah, um i wonder how many kids going through puberty at like that point like what what are the number of u.s citizen boys going through puberty at that point where where the baroness kind of because like as cartoon characters go yeah she's probably the hottest i think i think that's probably true although again uh parents out there huh just said strawberry shortcake <laughs> does strawberry shortcake wear skin tight leather yes she had rainbow big, bright had her moments big. and she can bake <laughs> the madonna and the whore um sorry strawberry shortcake um yeah i think that's that's maybe true although again for parents just because your little kid is watching gi joe doesn't mean he's not going to grow up to be a homo because what? sometimes they will <laughs> they will relate to the baroness rather than <laughs> want to have sex with the baroness so sorry gi <laughs> joe will return after these messages oh man it would be dark in here if it wasn't for these lamps now back to gi joe um, the other thing I noticed about G.I. Joe were um, obviously the quality of the um, of, of the product was not consistent nor stellar. Are you saying when they're churning out 55 episodes per season that yeah. they're maybe not going to quality check well, each one of them? So, closely? you know, when we started doing it, I thought, well, I got to bone up on some of the uh, some of these episodes I haven't seen in ages. And so I went and bought the DVD and, yeah. and I bought the DVD of season two. And it starts at like episode like fifty seven or something like mm-hmm. that, like season. Yeah, I was really, looking at the like, episode list on out, Wikipedia. It was kind of like, crazy. crazy. And the but they were on every day, weren't they? Yeah, and they were almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they showed a lot of reruns, but I remember like coming home and they would yeah. show them at like four o'clock. That's the thing. I was young enough that I don't remember whether I was watching new episodes or reruns or just I just remember that it was yeah. on. No, when it was DVD, on, I was happy. Like, as the original air, air dates, and it would be like October twenty yeah. second, October twenty fourth. Mm. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Um. But uh, there's this one scene 
um, where uh, there's this character, one of the one of the Arctic troops, uh, Iceberg, who is the uh, the black Arctic troop, as opposed yes. to Snowjob, who is the um, the ginger. Uh, yeah, Arctic he's troop. the uh, um, Kurt Russell esque, <laughs> you know, from the thing. Wait a minute, they had a they had a black Arctic guy, and they yeah. didn't call him Black Ice. Oh. Lame. Mm. Yeah. No, his name was Iceberg. All right, because go he's on. Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And uh, he is sharing a uh, a moment with Duke, <laughs> who is one of the Joe's you know top guys. officers. Yes. And uh, they're enjoying each enjoying a delicious cup of hot cocoa while doing their Arctic mission. Sure. As you do. And mm-hmm. drinking it, and they're chatting along, and he's like, mm, drinking it. He's black. They, and then they switch to a, a longer shot. Suddenly he's white. Yeah. And they go back to the next shot and he's black again. See, because you didn't know it was Artan all along. All of a sudden the mask <laughs> came off. I think they, yeah, either that or like they were drinking like cups of pigment or something. Like, <laughs> was, but it was it was a little jarring. I, I had really like, wait, wait a sec. Because I knew there was another Arctic guy. I just thought maybe he was like right beside him and they kind of like switched places when they're talking to Duke. Or Can something. you imagine like the guy in the in the uh, QA lab at uh, at the G.I. Joe headqu- uh, cartoon making headquarters just sort of like distracted that day as it was going by and several other Terrible errors came through. I, I and I doubt he lost his job. <laughs> oh, and I'm <laughs> sure that if you watched, you know, four or five episodes of Scooby Doo back to back, you would see as many gaffes like that. That's true. Well, I mean, yeah, but, cartoons were cheap and crappy. Yeah, but Scooby Doo had better production values than this. I mean, like it was marginally. Nah, well, if you actually okay, like, well then this would be like, comparable to like Rocket Robin Hood or the Hercules. Cartoon yeah, but there is just like a, a general sloppiness to the animation here. Like there are a lot mm-hmm. of scenes where, like, there's there's a there's there's a uh, an, an episode where all the girl GI Joes are together in this scene. <laughs> all and, two of them, and all three of them. <laughs> there are three of them. Um, Who's the other one? Cover, Cover girl. Oh, Jinx. She wasn't in any of the ones we watched. No, she's not important. Um, and she's on the cover. Literally, like. <laughs> One of her, one of her eyes is looking at the character, and the other one is just like <laughs> half inside of her skull for no reason, and it, 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 she just looks like she just had like you know like aneurysm or something. It was, it was embarrassing. Uh, no There's more covers for her. Little, lots of just weird things like that where people's mouths disappear and stuff like that. Like yeah. you know, they were making fifty-five of them a, a year or whatever. You know, yeah. like that's a lot of Korean slave labor. <laughs> you know? Sure, those yeah. plastic toys aren't going to sell themselves, Dave. <laughs> and the other uh, thing I noticed were the. Um, choice of sound effects obviously you know they had access to some sound library and oh yeah know, they'll be damned for paying a dime extra <laughs> um i captured this scene um this is a scene from the uh beginning of the second episode uh, second season right at the beginning of the second season there's like a five episode arc about called rise of Frentor rise yes god i love that one and uh, <laughs> the basic plot is cobra evil doctor dr mindbender Right. Yes. Not to be confused with other doctors employed in Cobra's first in the first season, such Doctor as Lucifer, Doctor Lucifer, <laughs> Doctor Attila, and his girlfriend, Doctor Attila. Oh, yeah. I don't remember them at all. That was mm-hmm. just one episode, but uh, those were their names. Those were good names. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Doctor Mindbender, who I didn't, don't mean to interrupt you, but no. was we, the only doctor in the world to show up to work bare chested and mm-hmm. with a cape with suspenders. Oh yeah, and he worked out. Yeah. Oh, he did. Dr. Mindbender's and plan was to, yeah. and handle, in villainous handlebar yeah. mustache. Yeah. yeah. 
Dr. Mindbender's plan was to go around the world and uh, dig up various remains of um, historical despots, st- you know, um, uh, military leaders, murderers, and combine yeah. them all into this one body and, you know, create this ultimate Cobra Emperor. Yes. So the G.I. Joes get wind of this and they're at their command center in front of their computer console laying out what's happening. And you have to just pay attention to the computer sound effect. All right. Cobra's going to be hitting historical burial sites all over the world. The tomb of Napoleon in Paris. The tomb of General Xanathamon Toth in Egypt. Even the crypt of Vlad Tepes, better known as Count Dracula. Count Dracula. (laughs) I just want to point out, there's a little bit more, um, that they raid the tombs of Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun, who never had tombs. They were buried in secret, and all their servants, both, were, everybody who buried them were killed so that nobody would ever know where the bodies were buried and it was just it was just buried in the ground right anyways way to do your research yeah you're a writer <laughs> well, also clearly dracula was uh staked and turned to ash so i mean yeah but listen to the sound effect and see if you can place it then there are the tombs of sun tzu the great chinese strategist genghis khan montezuma alexander the great ivan the terrible the list is incomplete any guesses? It took me a while to place it. It's yeah. like Scooby-Doo running sound, it isn't is. it? Is it? It's, it's like... It's it almost like, sounds like somebody's being poked in the eye, though, is the other thing. Like, on a, a cartoonishly... Oh, it's definitely like a Hanna-Barbera yeah. or whatever. I mean, I'm sure that I've heard that in the Flintstones, too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. But it, it, it's basically like when somebody starts running and they're running so fast that they have a couple uh-huh. seconds in the air. Yep. Like, it's part of that... It is. That, Sequence. that audio routine. I'm yeah. sure I also heard that sound when uh, Fred Flintstone would go bowling, for I've, example. I've, I've yet sure. to use a computer that makes that sound when, when, <laughs> when the slideshow changes on the computer. You're just though. not using the right computers. Yeah. Um... And also in season two is the introduction, the kind of brilliant marketing introduction of G.I. Joe's ultimate soldier. Oh, yeah, I'm with you here. Also, famous World Wrestling Federation wrestler, Sergeant Slaughter. Sure. And it, uh, it was kind of a still kicking around, by the way. He is. Yeah. There was a clip of him, a brand new clip of him on Hulu this week. Oh, he's yeah. Well, he's going to live forever. Yeah. <laughs> WWF did whatever, like, throwback week this week. So they have. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. It was it was that was pretty brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that was like wrestling was huge back then. Oh yeah, so it like brought in so oh, many yeah. asses into the seat. That was that was kind of the perfect marketing storm of now you got everybody, all the kids watching GI Joe and their dads watching wrestling with. And them. it really is. He was like to watch the series. He's like such a better soldier than anybody else. Oh yeah, like well, he he's really a sergeant. Just, <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of scenes in in various episodes where he just takes on a whole army and defeats them. Like there is no reason. For anybody else, you just need to have Sergeant Slaughter. Which, to Mister Doctor Mindbender's uh, credit, he didn't he go knew through mind bending school for <laughs> you to call him Mister. All right, he didn't spend eight years in evil mind bending school to be called Mister Mindbending. <laughs> Thank you, um, you know when he lost uh, Sung Zhu's uh, um, DNA yeah. um, at Sergeant Slaughter's hands, of course, who yes. foiled him. He thought to himself, if I can't have that, I'll have the greatest living soldier, Sergeant Slaughter. That would be Sergeant Slaughter. What do you think kept Sergeant Slaughter from rising above the rank of Sergeant? Was it... Uh, it's gay. He just needed... <laughs> it's like the See, cop. damn it, America. To- <laughs> You've cost, cost your country its best soldiers. He just wanted to be in the fight. He's like the cop who just wants to stay on the beat. Yeah. He wants to be part of the community. He wants Desk to job ass. is you never going to be that. enough for him. Yeah. can't do that as an officer. That's true. Gay. <laughs> um... Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, come on. 
What, what? So uh, the first time he met uh, Cobra Commander, kind of face-to-face, had yeah. a little battle. Um, here is uh, Cobra Commander's um, um, opinion and of him. That man has the constitution of a vending machine. Mean. I don't even know what that Speaking means. of excessive sibilance, too, man, Cobra Commander. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, there are some really odd, odd moments in, in yeah. the show. Um, the other one, there was actually another one from this same episode that was actually kind of creepy. Again, this is the same storyline. Uh, Cobra's going around the world <laughs> trying to collect bones, uh, DNA, of uh, historical figures. And Joe gets wind of it, so they're sort of like defending sites that haven't been raided yet. And one of right. them is Napoleon's tomb. So off the Joes go with their tanks to Paris. And who's waiting for them on the streets of Paris blocking their way? The mayor of Paris. Sir, we're on an important mission. Please move so we can proceed. I will not, monsieur. I am the mayor of Paris. I must protect my city. We're here to guard Napoleon's tomb. Oh, monsieur general, by rolling your big machines through the streets, by shaking the foundations of our museums, our very culture. My children need wine. But it does give you an appreciation of the G.I. Joe live-action movie that was released two years ago. Didn't get a lot right. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that it at least had good intentions with was it messed with Paris something significant. Oh, yeah, it did. In every G.I. Joe, whenever uh, Cobra would do the thing they would do every episode where they obtain a weapon and then they send out a worldwide broadcast that says, unless you surrender the world to us, which, I mean, come on, the bureaucracy involved in that, it's going to take more than a day. But anyway, uh, then we will destroy the world and here's how, and they show this example and it always would start with that poor damn Eiffel Tower would just get blown to bits in some American screenwriters have so few villains Mm. and peoples that they can consistently make fun of without getting in hot mm. water and it's pretty much boiled down now to the french and canadians yeah <laughs> and well, oh god help you if you're french canadian <laughs> oh those chain smoke and loonies even regular canadians hate french their canadians. poutine yeah. and their Back me up, referendums Dave. Ugh. Ugh. so uh Awful just on gutter relax the last, the last thing on the paris bit and you have to go to the blog to sort of you know get the full effect yeah so um he is standing in front of all these tanks, right? Blocking their way. And there's He a, being the mayor of Paris. Mayor of Paris. He's protecting Whoa. his city. And his very culture. <laughs> he is blocking the tank. And there's this pullback shot that is so reminiscent of the famous Tiananmen Square photo of the guy standing in the lone guy standing in front of the tank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that he's at the top of the scene in G.I. Joe instead of at the bottom of the photo. And these Otherwise, episodes of G.I. Joe were definitely created before that. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're yeah. like 87, you yeah. said, right? Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I believe so. Tiananmen Square was after that, right? 89. It was, yeah. Late, yeah, late yeah, 80s. yeah. Yeah. It was really weird to watch. That is like, kind of hey, I was passing it around. As soon as it happened, I'm like, screen grab, pass around, creeped out, G.I. Joe writer <laughs> from Time Traveler. Don't let Just Vigilant like that Citizen 9/11 get a hold thing. of it, though. Vigilant Citizen would be all over oh, that. Man. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, we should do that. We should send that to you Vigilant should. Citizen. Um, Vigilant Citizen is awesome. Through uh, through an email that has uh, a weird like magazine cutout letter font, being like, "We thought you should see this." <laughs> Just figure out a way to spoof your return address like seven hundred <laughs> times, so he knows that you really are serious about getting out the truth. VigilantCitizen.com. <laughs> One thing I forgot to mention earlier about the uh, theme that uh, I always kind of imagine the people that are called in, like the session singers, when they're called in to like 
sing these things. Yes. How embarrassing it yes. must be. How how it must hurt their soul to go in there. It's like, oh, this is what I got to do for money. Yeah. And like, they're there. Like, he, because in the theme, G.I. Joe. I went to the Boston Conservatory. <laughs> And then, like, in the theme, there's the one guy. Like, you know, there's obviously three or four people doing, you know, the G.I. Joe part. And there's yeah. the one guy who's like, G.I. Joe. And he's doing the speaking part. And then he sings a bit, too. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is, this is <clears throat> oh, I, I can't tell my mom about this. I would always think <laughs> of that when uh, when my sister and I would watch Another World, knowing that the theme song to that soap opera became, like, a pop hit. And I was just oh, like, yeah. wow, what a weird backwards way for you to have your own. I mean, it was Crystal Gale and some other guy, sure. but whoever this other guy was like never had any other whatever hits. And it's just like, Oh, by accident, it would be like the GI Joe theme all of a sudden sort of <laughs> charted. And this guy's like, I didn't want to be known for this. Yeah. And you know, as bad like as the, the poor G. Rembrandts with their friends. Thing. Oh yeah. Pity them. You know, as, as goofy and, 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 and bad, I guess yeah. bad, you know, brackets, awesome. Yeah. The GI Joe theme is, um, first of all, the movie, the, the movie variation of the theme is embarrassingly bad. Oh, Do you remember it? Oh, it's epic. Yes. The one that starts with Cobra. Yeah. That one? Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's yeah, it's like, they will, I, I forget yeah. what it is, was they will get them good. And then it's like, yeah. Cobra. It's and then, epic. But, then it, but it's, they will get them whatever. Cobra. <laughs> Cobra! Yeah. Yep. Cobra. I, I Cobra! Totally remember that. Yeah. So as bad as the G.I. Joe theme is for picturing people having to sing that, and imagine that movie guy, the guy, you know, he's there, yeah. he's in the session, yep. he's got his hands on the on his uh, How many times he had to sing that line to get it right? Yeah. Like, uh. As bad as that is, imagine being the people who had to do the Transformers theme. You think you know the Transformers theme, but I haven't heard in a while. It is so epically horrible. It doesn't even sound like it's a cartoon theme or even like a sci-fi event. It just sounds like like some commercial from like the late 70s or something. Just give a listen. But as you listen, just think about the men and the women who are singing this in some six-by-six particle board lined <laughs> session uh, studios. Ready? Autobots their Now, also consider that they had no fucking idea what the hell they were singing about, which made it even worse. So they're in there. They got their sheet of paper, right? And it's like, all right, you know, uh, 1030 to 11 o'clock, Transformers animated theme song. All right. So uh, the Autobots did from defend the, the what's this stuff what the hell is this Deception. don't worry about it it's just some weird shit from japan just shut the fuck up and sing it do you want to do just like a chorus line-esque broadway show about that where it's just like prospective <laughs> singers and they spend the entire day like going through their shit and working out their emotions yes. and at the end like the six selected ones get to go and sing that song yeah yeah uh tara what's your favorite episode of g <laughs> uh cold slither <laughs> and then a question mark <laughs> joe what's your uh favorite episode i think it's that five part arise serpentor yeah. arise it was really good it was and, and also like and the movie actually the animated movie i thought was like for somebody who felt the hype like leading up to it and <laughs> saw it in the theater yeah. and uh the whole backstory to that because in the the animated movie duke gets shot and it seems like he gets killed yeah but they had to change that ending originally because people freaked out so much when Optimus Prime died yeah. in the Transformers movie. Yeah. Uh, but it felt sort of epic, like Cobra Commander turned into a snake and then Roadblock yeah. had to carry him through the snow. Like it was for for a little kid watching that, it was kind of amazing. 
I was alerted to it at the last moment, thank God, by our <laughs> friend uh, Mike, um, who's a uh, Miss Mike over at uh, Choosy Beggars. Yes. Um, about an episode which, as he was explaining it, I had this like the faintest memory of it. The episode's called Cold Slither. And I'm going to explain explain the plot but i just want to preface it say i am not lying i shit you not this was the plot <laughs> so destro who is basically kind of the weapons designer and sort of uh arms dealer to cobra he's the lord of war in the cobra gi joe situation yes. thank you um and um he has developed this subliminal message technology and for reasons which are never explained Cobra decides the best method to get this out to the public and to enslave mankind is Cobra has to form their own rock group. The rock group's name is Cold Slither. Um, it's basically Zartran and the Dreadnoughts, sort yeah. of as like a, a, a cleaned up punky like metal punk band. kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, they they have this big concert at a stadium and they like enslave 50,000 people mm-hmm. singing singing their song. And then the Joes get wind of it and they figure the best way to do this is to get all three of the G.I. Joe gals right. to pose as groupies and wait in the dressing room for the Dreadnoughts <laughs> and Zartan to uh, come in and then ambush them, find out where Cobra Commander Destro's you right. know, um, transmission tower is. Yeah. But and first... Then- Cover girl has to suck Zartran's cock, right? Is that oh. what happens? Uh, no. That was in the oh. that was in the overseas version that they didn't show to uh, American almost audiences. Cobra. <laughs> yeah, and the Joes win the day. They destroy the console, and the transmission is you know knocked out. But then there's sixty thousand people there for for whatever reason. They're all like, "Whoa, where am I? What am I doing here?" And then they all just say, "We want music. We no. want music." Because they're like at a stadium. They assume there was a rock concert of some sort going on. <laughs> yeah. And they just they want their fucking music. And then the Joes are like, "Well, we better do something." So then the Joes go out, form their own impromptu group, and they start singing the GI Joe theme song. <laughs> Yep. Well, they Which should is a know little it. too meta they for my it, taste. They hear it every week as they're fighting their battles. <laughs> Here is uh, here's Cold Slither in action. At this metal Wait, concert. let me explain. I need to pause it to explain. The hippie is there. This is them during the actual concert. And uh, all the, some of the Joes got hypnotized and are there. And then Duke sent the military police out to get them. Yeah. Okay. So here is the Joes and the military police coming to get them. Totally awesome. Cosmic vibes. Wow. Okay, you guys are all under arrest. Wait a second, what's happening? We didn't do anything wrong. Save it for the court martial. Uh, hey, why don't we stay and listen to the music? It's totally awesome. Yeah, let's get mellow. <laughs> Okay, so, the guy who wrote this episode, first of all, was 68. Well, that's what, that was my point. <laughs> that's obviously, a. some of these G.I. Joe writers are, are, are pretty old. And we actually did, the first episode we watched, <laughs> yes, we, we tracked down 
um, it was an episode from the first season written by this guy named Ted Peterson, and we're like, we got to track this guy down. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, he's still alive, but he's very old. And we figured out he would have been 50 or so during this run. Yeah. Which means, yeah, basically all these guys were kind of like 60s. Well, but also, though, this was based on the true life tale of Crosby, Stills, and Nash at Woodstock. <laughs> and so, I mean, you can only blame him so That's far. That's true. That's a good point, Joe. Um, as a child, did you notice that nobody ever died? Uh, I actually not maybe not when I was first watching it, but it didn't take me long to just to realize that nobody ever died. That the good lasers were blue and the bad lasers were red, just like in Star Wars. Just yeah, just like in Star Wars, and yeah, that, well, and like for instance, there would be like this giant air battle, and GI Joe yeah. jets would come in, totally tear the shit out of like sixteen yeah. Cobra helicopters at once, and then sixteen people in parachutes. In parachutes, yep, yeah, always, yeah. always. Here, um, Obviously, I can't show that by audio, but this clip says it all. All right, men, what's the bad news? 12% casualties. None fatal. Thank heavens. <laughs> what the f- what? They had a giant battle. You know those non-fatal casualties. I mean... Over one out of every ten people was hit. How, None of them died. How do they think they're going to get rid of Cobra if they're ha- thankful they're not killing them? There's a scene where Destro has Lady... Uh, Lady J. 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 Is it? Oh. Jane, yeah. isn't it? No, it's Jay. Okay. And Flynn trapped in a uh, watery Flint. cell. Flynn. Sorry. T- yeah. Sorry. Um, I trapped in a watery cell with a giant yellow octopus. Yeah. And they sort of defeat the octopus uh, jaw style by throwing a compressed air tank in its mouth and blowing it up somehow. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and the octopus just is a giant explosion. You just see the octopus slump down in the water. Then Destro walks away. And in the poorest, not really the actor <laughs> overdub, the octopus revives. <laughs> no. They can't even kill off an octopus in this oh, show. Oh, man. Well, Lame. the octopus lobby was stronger in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. There's a lot to love. There's I mean, a lot. It's, it's a yeah. goofy show. but I mean, yeah. And if I didn't love it as a kid, I'm sure it would hold no appeal to me whatsoever now, obviously. But, I, I mean, I'm not going to deny that it's sort of, it's my one thing. It's my one show. It, I, I will say, the experience of watching this at my age. Yeah. It was very similar to the first time I watched Commando with a lot of like <laughs> turning around to Dave to be like, really? And Dave being like, mm-hmm. Like just satisfied, <laughs> smugly nodding. Yes, that's what's happening. That's right. And I mean, watching a few episodes of the cartoon on the weekend, I, I, and I said to Dave, you really can see the missed opportunity of the movie that it could have been yes. a crazy over the top hilarious parody in the Brady Bunch movie style. Yeah. Right. Because it's so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and then they decided to play it straight, which I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was dumb and fun. Really? But I that was know. without having any, you know, context for it. Yeah. They did do a, a good serious version of G.I. Joe. They had this like little cartoon miniseries about a year ago called Resolute. Right. Yeah. That was actually pretty good. Well, the comic booky uh, aspects of it do lend themselves to it. They're, they're, the characters do tend to have especially the villains, these sort of like elaborate backstories, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow yeah. or Clan Brothers. And like they talked about that in the movie, but in the movie messed up the tone in yeah. really dumb ways. They yeah. tried to mix and match and nobody was in the same movie. And The yes. words G.I. Joe and Wayans should not no. go together. No. no, I don't know what his specialty was supposed to be in the movie. He didn't play Roadblock, did he? No, he played... Uh, was just some new dude they created? Or no, something? it was actually an old dude who they stopped using very yeah. much. It was He was like... Uh, yeah. I can't remember Whatever. what his name doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, doesn't Don't matter. do the movie. It's not that good. No. Um, yeah. But um, once in a while you learn... Like the PSAs. 
they were a treat. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody remembered them. You learned stuff in the PSAs, obviously. And obviously, and, and we'll have to dig up those uh, parodies for Utah if you hadn't seen them on, that are online. That, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Do you know which ones I'm talking about? The guy overdubs them. Yes. They're yes, really good. of course. Yeah. yeah they're well, really famous. And there were only maybe a handful, maybe like nine or ten or a dozen of them spread mm-hmm. out over these whatever 55 episodes yeah. in the first season. So you season. relearned the lessons. So you would see them a lot. And I remember the one that I would always see was that one with the goddamn live wire. And I remembered thinking, like, growing up, you're so susceptible to that, thinking like there was this epidemic of like, <laughs> I could turn a corner and there would yep. be would be a live wire and my sure. life would be in danger. There's one, there's a, a don't talk to strangers one on the on the from season two. Yeah. And it's basically, it's, you know, um, a guy drives up to the kid. His kid, your mom's been hurt. Get in the car. But yeah. they, the character design for this guy is is just so good. He's like got the John Waters pencil mustache. He's got the green oversized bucket hat Aviator with a trench sunglasses. coat yeah. and uh, glasses, yeah. or like Dwight Schrute glasses oh, kind of yeah. thing. Perfect. Like he's like, yeah, I'm gonna molest the shit out of you, kid. Just get in the car. Come on, do it, do it, do it. And then the GI Joe guy, you know, pops up. Is like, you know, whatever. And then the whole, you know. Stranger danger lesson, yeah. blah blah blah. One of the I do like when they do bring it something complicated in GI Joe. Um, sort of the really just deadpan exposition they do. Yeah, there's this one good example in again in the DNA sequence that I'm just playing up. I just love the fact that everybody has to explain DNA to this one character. Yes, one guy, then another guy, and <laughs> then a third explanation, which I really enjoyed. They're after DNA. As in deoxyribonucleic acid. Say what? Deoxyribonucleic acid. The chief building block of all life, gung-ho. <laughs> God damn it, gung-ho. Do we have to explain everything to you? Does the, the dog. dog have to get in on it? Also, really, the building blocks of all human life. Hey, Jurassic Park had that whole cartoon video where they explained how they got the, uh, the DNA. That's so. true. Anyways, uh, totally worth catching up on. Yes. Like, I haven't seen these in a long time. We yeah. brought them up. I had so much fun rewatching these. Like, they are poorly produced, and the writing at times is absolutely yeah. atrocious, but it is never, <laughs> never not entertaining. Well, and the hub is is portioning them out only one week. Like, yeah. you would think that they'd be, you know, like, have, like, this four-hour block, but I'm kind of glad, because they don't have any programming, but I'm glad they're really portioning it out, because it, I won't burn myself out on it and just be like all right this is dumb i can't but if it's like one half hour a week on a lazy saturday when i don't feel like getting out of bed yet i will totally watch it it's kind of fun (laughs) to see them somewhat in order because they just get more and more ridiculous as the Mm. show goes on right up until the movie where they're like introducing aliens and middle earth and organic spaceships and just like cobra law was real okay (sighs) and it happened well, on that note, I think we should wrap up our T.I. Joe conversation because <laughs> yes. it was not. <laughs> uh, I am really excited because this week we have our uh, second user, second and third user submission. And uh, we have a um, canon suggestion. Excellent. All right. So I'll uh, play our note from Amanda. Hello, my name is Amanda. I'm a huge fan of your show, and I found out about you from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. So in two minutes, here's the show I'd like to nominate into the canon. It's the episode called The Body in Season 5. It's episode 16, I believe, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I feel that Buffy was one of the first iconic shows of its kind and helped launch Joss Whedon and the WB Network 
uh, into household names prior to vampires becoming all the rage. In this particular episode, it deals primarily with the death, one of the first natural deaths by killing off a supporting character, showing that on top of all the supernatural situations going on, that the characters also have to worry about illness and natural causes. Especially in an arc plot where Buffy is battling a god, it shows human, raw human emotion concerning the death of a loved one. There are other several emotional and gut-wrenching moments like the long shots of Buffy after the paramedics can't revive her mother and the reactions of Xander, Willow, and Dawn that seem less gimmicky than other fan-favorite episodes such as Hush or Once More with Feeling. Also, the decision of not having a score leaves it impossible to watch without crying. So in a nutshell, that's why I feel this episode should be in the canon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Um, First of all, before we get into the canon thing, thank you also to our dear friend yes. Linda Holmes at the uh, Monkey See at the at the Monkey See blog, but also the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast for giving us such a sweet, lovely mention in their last episode. It was really we love cool. their show too. Their show is fantastic. If you, you really somehow know about our show but not theirs, you should definitely <laughs> subscribe. You can get to it via uh, npr.org slash Monkey See. Indeed, they do a great job. It was, and I think both of our audio clips this week came from uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is uh, awesome. Listeners. Um, I did get uh, one note uh, backing. Strangely enough, I got an email, just an email from somebody also uh-huh. suggesting this episode of Buffy. Oh, really? For, yeah. for the canon, which was, um, you know, kind of an odd coincidence. Nice. Um, another email I got also uh, wanted to let me know that somebody named Linda Holm at the NPR uh, <laughs> ha- uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast and then the Earl where I can check it out uh, gave us a mention and that um, we should in kind thank her. <laughs> Thank you, Linda Holmes. And, um, you know, and, and, and just be good citizens. And uh, yeah. so um, Joe's Joe's ex roommate, Linda Holmes. Yeah, I was going to say, did Linda, Linda, did you send that note? Because we were, we would have thanked you anyway. It's, it's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so actually two nominations for this, uh, for this episode. Yeah. And uh, Joe, I think you're our leading, uh, what are Buffy fans called? Just Buffy fans? Oh, God. Probably something lame. I'm not even going to do it. No, I. Are you a Buffy fan, but also a. Uh, what do they call them? Weedonites, weenies. But you're I, not. I'm not a. I'm not a Weedonite. I think it's. I think it is probably a Weedonite. Uh, I think I said it a couple, few podcasts ago. I love almost everything that Joss Whedon produces for television. He himself really bugs me. And, yes, that's fair. Um, but none of that, none of that annoyance applies to the body at all. I really. This is the rare. Uh, show an episode that everybody talks about that I even as somebody who has contrarian tendencies I'm not even going to touch the one one of the really great things about Buffy is that all of the big gimmicky episodes and Amanda mentioned it in her clip uh hush where nobody could talk and once once more with feeling which was a musical episode they all really sort of defied their their gimmicky their gimmicky nature just by being so good and so they moved the story along so well and you couldn't you know even if you were going in there trying to pick it apart for trying to be so different it was sort of trying to stand out it was just so good and the body was so really just emotional it hits every emotion it's trying to it's trying to get to with just the grief and and the no music i remember watching it and the you didn't know until ha- I didn't realize until halfway up through the episode that wow, there's been no music playing. Yeah, and it's all just so, just so heavy, and the silence is really just sort of I don't know. You sort of project all of your shit onto the episode yeah. through those silences. Um, 
I don't know. I just thought it was really kind of powerful. It's pretty yeah. pretty ballsy for for I you know for for a show of that type. I mean, don't forget this is like a what was this a WB show, right? Yeah, it was that this was its yeah, last that's, that's season. a pretty ballsy uh, type of episode for a show in the WB. I mean, like oh, yeah. Buffy was like. I don't want to call it a groundbreaking show. I mean, I think uh, it. I think, I think that's you fair. Could. I yeah. think you could. Yeah. Um, but even like within, if if you do call it a groundbreaking show, I think this sort of broke new ground. Even you know, yeah, it's sort of like you know, dug a, dug a, dug a new hole. Yeah. Um, it was it was really it was really uh, impressive. And and again, same as you, I listened to this. This you know, I was the first person to listen to the uh, to the audio. Yeah. Um, you know, and she mentioned the fact that there was no soundtrack. I promptly forgot. Watched the whole episode. Yep. Re-listened to this for the purposes of putting this together, and yeah. it's like. All those moments yeah. at the beginning of the show where yeah. Buffy is just sort of like staring in glassy-eyed disbelief at yeah. what's you know at the yeah. scene in the living room, yeah. and it's just dead silent, you know, yeah. and and it's just like oh yeah, you know, like probably a a, a, a less courageous show, yeah, would have had strings or something going on there, you yeah. know, or, or a little well, piano and the lighting, or even down to something like the lighting, which was so sort of harsh and and bright and it almost and they they weren't they were on the same sets as they always were but it almost felt like they weren't yeah and they would do that thing every once in a while um in a television show that's on a on a set that's on the same set uh a scene will happen in a corner of like the living room that you never saw was there yeah or like a simpsons episode will happen i'm just like where did that foyer come from you know what i mean (laughs) yeah Uh, but there's that moment where she uh she drops to her hands and knees and she throws up yes and that sort of happened in a corner of that living room that i don't feel like they showed very much i I think it was another room it's like this little pointless pass-through study or something between the living room and the kitchen and it just really enforced this otherness of just she's in a completely different world just nothing is the same nothing is real nothing is is uh is familiar to her anymore yeah and may not ever be again because her mother has died and i think amanda also brings up a great point of you know that that this episode although there are mentions throughout of you know there's mentions of glory because because buffy's on the phone with giles and just says she's at the house and he doesn't yeah. know who she's talking yes. about if she means a mother or, or whatever yeah he doesn't know who she means and 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 i realized as we were watching it again this week that you almost get to the end of the episode before any kind of supernatural stuff happens yeah. at all. Yeah. I mean, there's a sort of, thro- it's a practically a throwaway moment at the mm-hmm. end where, where Dawn has walked into the morgue. She wants to see Joyce's body. Yeah. And there's a, you know, a guy on another slab that ends up being a vampire and he attacks her and the Buffy has killed, blah, blah, blah. Like it's so perfunctory. Like yeah. it's something we've seen well, Buffy it's see a million times sort of before. Contrast. Right. Yeah. Right. I actually thought, and, I, I agreed with actually the email we got. One of his points was that that was probably the weakest part of this episode. Yeah. It sort of yeah. felt the need to have a vampire in this yes. episode of vampire of right. uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought the episode on the whole would have been better without that. Yes, and I it, agree. It, and it was pretty, you know, extraneous. Yeah. As we were watching it, I was like, oh, that's what's going to make this special. Because, I mean, I have seen it before, but mm-hmm. I had forgotten, yeah. you know, yeah. some of the details. And that was one where it's like, oh. And then when the guy wakes up, it's kind of like, mm, I guess they had to. But Yeah. I don't think they had to. Well. Someone thought they did. It might have been a network note. Really must have vampire in a show with vampire in the title. They might have had like a vampire quota they had to reach. You know, Perhaps. Like, you know, minimum vampire, one. I think I was just sort of standing there on the set being like, they told me to show up in the makeup, so you got to use me. Yeah. Um, All right, Carl. But what, this- what, what, uh, how true were like the other characters' reactions? Like after, you know, she is 
you know pronounced dead and, and, yeah. and they take her away and then there's the scenes with yeah. willow and yeah. well Xander yeah and all that each doing their own yeah. process and the acts are so well defined that mm-hmm. the first act is buffy in the house dealing with her mom and then that whole second act is just xander and willow and and tara and anya dealing with how they're going to have to deal with buffy and you know coping with their own sense of loss as you know it's not the same. This is, you know, their friend's right. mom, but they all knew her and they're all sort of shocked and rattled by this, but it's also, how are they going to help Buffy? And the scene that everybody remembers when they talk about this, I had sort of done this series of, you know, best Buffy episodes on my blog last summer. And I remember more than anything else, everybody had something to say about Anya's whole, mm-hmm. uh, basically breakdown run on speech <laughs> where, and it's so true to her character because her character is this demon who had lived for thousands of years and mm-hmm. then was made uh, human. And but she could never understand. She's never grasped like the if if this was a fifty sci fi movie, she would be asking, "What is this emotion you humans call yeah. grief?" <laughs> and, but it's not even just emotion. But it was just like social norms yeah. and right. that kind of thing. So she's it's, a little aspie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it all started off being her trying to grasp with these the the, uh, the social norms of it all. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to be quiet? Am I supposed to you know? Are we supposed to be changing sweaters? Was her sort of secretly right. bitchy line to Willow? But then it became her dealing with the emotion of it and it just sort of knocked everybody out mm-hmm. rightfully so yeah i thought some of the anya stuff was a little kind of you know cliff notes guide to you know the viewer perspective on things you know yeah. I mean? like, yeah. it, it was you know um but i think that's sort of like why a lot of whenever something from whedon annoys me it's yeah. that trait yeah it's that let's make this a little too obvious uh-huh. trait but Ultimately, I think that works for the popularity of the show. Yes. yes. You know, like yeah. it is. I, like that's, yeah, that's like my favorite thing. Yeah. Is, is um, moments like that. And, you know, that I thought was a touch, uh, a little on, on, on the head for me. Right. Um, but I can appreciate why it was done that way. Yeah. And the only other quibble I had with this episode, and these are like really tiny little things. Yeah. Like just for the sake of being able to point something out. Right. Well, we're well, discussing the camera it camera work context. was a little, um, uh, you know. Um, Self-conscious. The camera work is this what you're It was a little star wipey, you know. Oh, okay. It was a little like a lot of like you know craners. It's just like uh, the crane yeah. shot out of the window into the parking ticket scene. I know what you're talking about. You yep. know, it was a little like I'm out of camera school and I got a job and I yeah, got to show yeah. everybody all oh, my bag of tricks. <laughs> you know, right? It was a little bit like that. But again, yeah. like you know, I just you know, in search of something sure to criticize. Sure. That's what I come up with. In this sure. really otherwise great yeah. episode. My you know, my big quibble is a vampire at the yeah. end, but yeah. but it really was one of those kind of knock you on your ass kind of moments the other moment in the episode that kind of knocks you on your ass and the lack of a soundtrack and the audio mixing really helps is when you're in the art classroom buffy just having delivered the news to dawn and dawn just crumples to the floor and everybody's just sort of like staring at her and like Mm -hmm. kind of like well how do i react yeah you don't know to look or look away yeah yeah Yeah. the other moment i thought was really nice was um when buffy is left alone with um tara Yes. And they, th- she mentions that you know, Buffy's sort of, you know, feeling weird and like, I've never been through this before. And then Tara's like, well, I have. And yeah. they sort of have this conversation about her mother's death and yeah. what it was like. And she has a nice line where Buffy asks if it was expected, I think is the word she says, or or was it was it fast? Sudden. Was it sudden? That's was it. it. Sudden. Was it sudden? And, yes. t- and Tara's like, well, 
no and yes, and yes. you know yeah it's a, it's a very it's, it's a, a nice, great line it's a nice speech and i also thought the uh, this is one place where the camera work suited it is they have a nice framing shot of the two of them sort of sitting yes. side by side feeling weird about each yeah. other because they're not you know yeah. they have like a friend in law yeah. who's not there right and you know well, people, the show have, always, people can recognize that moment and that feeling the show always struggled to integrate Tara into the greater group mm-hmm. and that was probably the best they ever did yeah. at having her fit in with she had a little bit in the sixth season where uh, she was the first one to find out that Buffy had been having sex with Spike right? Um, and she was sort of Buffy's one to talk to but this one in the body was definitely I thought the best scene of her with any of the other non-Willow characters yep well, I think I know which way this is going to go, but let's make it official, guys. Uh, Joe, uh, um, yay or nay on the uh, this being in the canon? Yayest of yays. Tara? Yeah, this is, I, I mean, even though Amanda dissed once more with feeling, which is my favorite episode, I will still vote yay. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good of you. <laughs> I, I am a hero. I Buffy in the Donkey's Age. Um, you know, we did watch them all at the time, but yeah. I haven't watched it. It was, it was fun. I kind of want to go back and see some other fan favorite yeah. ones now. Yeah. It but, was a good uh, show. Yeah, definitely yay. So... Yep. Uh, congratulations to the body from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You are now part of the extra hot great canon. You know, it's um, funny, you asked me yesterday which one Hush is, and I realized as you were describing it that I mixed it up with Earshot. Oh, right. There was sort of the... There, the inverse. Hey, not to put you yeah. on the spot, Joe, but do you remember what like the next episode or, or how they address like how the what the followed is from her death? Like after the body, yeah. The very next episode was called Forever, and that was when Dawn decided that she was going to try and bring her mom back to life through oh. a spell, and then they had to uh, basically stop her from doing that. That never works out. No, rarely. We've already discussed Pet Cemetery. That's I mean, right. <laughs> don't bury Joyce in the Pet Cemetery. Mom Cemetery. <laughs> You guys still keeping up with um, Boardwalk Empire? Oh yeah, yeah. Still yep. enjoying it? Yes. <laughs> I. It's. It's. What's about to happen? Nothing. I'm just asking. Oh, uh, I'm asking partly because I, we uh, cut out the Lucy bits from. Oh uh, yes. And we put that separate up on the site. So yeah. if you just want our, our Lucy uh, compilation that uh, you. Well, can particularly because site. last week's episode was Lucy, Lucy free. free. So yeah, if you were feeling the lack, if you were, you know. Had a strange hankering Joe, for Lucy. if you were feeling the lack of Lucy, I got the cure. Lucy compilation part two. What? Everybody knows everybody. Isn't that swell? My old friend Annabelle. I don't care. I love you. I want to go to the picture. You're in charge of the lobby now, too. Where'd you go? Why won't you return my calls? Then you're the dumbest door I ever met. You wouldn't steer me wrong. She's a fucking shop girl. She's very helpful. You think you understand him? Don't act like you care. Would you? You're about as phony as that wig. What does she have that I don't have? Mrs. McDougal. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I like some of my clothes here. What are you two whispering about? Americans don't whisper. I feel empty without you inside me. Is that Irish for bitch? What? The second last remark was like totally incomprehensible. I think it was, I want to have you inside me. I feel empty without you inside me. I had to recap that. I remember. God. This bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go to the picture. Oh, God. All right. Uh, here we go. We got uh, a user question. 
Hey, Extra Hot Great Gang, this is Michelle, and I have two listener contributions that I would like to share with you. The first is a listener question. Uh, It's probably more specifically for Tara and Dave. Sorry, Joe. (laughs) And um, I was just wondering if you guys are able to, or allowed to, (laughs) if you could um, elaborate on something you alluded to in a prior podcast, which is um, the Aaron Sorkin uh, scuttlebutt that... uh, happened on the TWAP forums back in the days of the West Wing. I was just wondering what exactly went down and what was the background behind that. Um, I'm a huge West Wing fan, but I could kind of see Aaron Sorkin maybe being sort of a douche in real life. So if you have any um, behind-the-scenes info on that, I would love to hear about it, as I'm sure many of uh, your other listeners would as well. The second thing is... All right, I'll pause it there. Let me just say, <laughs> how dare you, ma'am, Aaron Sorkin, a douche in real life. How dare you? It's a national treasure. I am clutching my pearls. You know, I don't think this is... It's definitely not a secret, and it's definitely something we can talk about. I mean, oh, yeah, we're not legally enjoined from it. In fact, there's <laughs> so, there's a, a former, former, former forum user... Wow. Yeah, That's sorry, that was awkward. Uh, wrote a post on her blog... Basically, it's basically a timeline of everything that happened from a from an outsider perspective, mm-hmm. which is pretty accurate. Yep. And I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay. But um, yeah, Aaron Sorkin came on the boards um, on the West Wing boards during the like second season. It was pretty early on, mm-hmm. and at the time, everyone was still totally over the yep. moon about the show and loved it. And so he was got a very warm reception once it was established that he was What's who he himself. He, was. Yeah. <laughs> he posted under the name of Benjamin, if I recall correctly, yep. which I think yeah. is his middle age, middle, middle name, yeah. not middle age. He is middle aged, but um, <clears throat> so he, you know, would answer questions and obviously the users being what they were, they metaphorically jizzed all over him and I'm sure he loved it <laughs> at the time, but he came back a little bit later, I think post, 9-11 when the show was starting to reflect his uh worldview ambivalence okay yeah and worldview is a good word it, I, th- I feel like that was the moment where the show started started to get go off the rails because yeah. he was you know the the events of that day affected people in a lot of different ways and if you're doing a political a show you can't really <laughs> ignore it yeah of course yeah but um at the time that he came back, there was a thread on the on the West Wing boards that was called anti-female sexism that had formerly been like misogyny on the West Wing. Yeah. And I renamed that thread because I thought that was a little bit strong. Yeah. But he even objected to just anti-female sexism. Um, and so he, you know, tried to start, as I recall, got into a bit of a debate about, you know, the portrayals of different characters and that he did not feel that there was any kind of sexism on the show or whatever. And, um, you know, arguments had to be moderated, and I don't recall him stomping off in a huff, but he wasn't posting very much after that. And then there was this episode, The U.S. Poet Laureate, which had a subplot about Josh getting into it with somebody on a message board. Yeah. And it was, you know, it sort of was about how Josh eventually has to learn, you're too good to get into it with forum trolls, which, yeah. by the way, is a lesson everyone should learn. Because you are. Everyone is too good to get into it with forum trolls. Yes. And whether a person is a troll or not. Not that you, you should know enough not to do it in the first place, but right. that you're yeah. too good. No, but you know what I mean? Like, you no, know, <laughs> yeah, if you know think you someone mean, is a troll. Let's let's be aware of how we don't get into the it. argument as yes. well. Yes, of yeah. course. It's not that I'm against for Yes, right. Yes. 
that he goes into it with good intentions and yes. thinks he's going to have a, a smart debate with these people and then yeah. quickly realizes that they're not on board with him yeah. and, you right. know, it devolves into ad hominem attacks and basically all the things that tend to actually happen on the boards. Yeah. Right. Um, so whether this was specifically in response to his experience on television that pity... I can't say. I don't know yeah. if he was posting on any other boards at the time. And I know there definitely were other sites that covered the West Wing that thought it was about them. And it very well could have been. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, pretty sure that he was just posting on on, on TWAP. Yeah. I can't say that for absolute uh, yeah, certainty. Yeah, I don't know that But there was either. also something. And, you know, I emailed Deborah, who was recapping the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, and asked her uh Yesterday, I said, you know, do you remember if there was anything beyond the fact that, you know, he was just posting on our forums in there, you know, and, and was, was there like a some sort of like message, like coded or other, you know, was there something that tied it? She says, you know, she had that same vague, like, yeah, there might have been like, but again, yeah. I was, you know, that was eight, ten years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. I don't yeah. really remember. Neither one of us cared to actually do <laughs> right. a forensic study of it. Right. But well, I those, do remember thinking at the time and, and watching it. And there was something in there that was like, oh, okay, that that was a detail. There was a detail that, yeah. that spoke to it. Either way, either it was it was it was it was a direct, you know, um, reaction, or it was part of an right. aggregate at the very least. I mean, right. either way, yeah. it was you know he's he's against the internet. We all that know if we've seen the social network, yeah, we yeah. know how he feels yeah. about it. Yeah. But we've extrapolated that through our keen observations. Actually, um, Michelle brings up a good point because she said this was maybe more for me and Dave than it was for you, but actually Joe went on to be the recapper for Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and and was quoted in a story in the LA Times. That's right, I forgot about that. (laughs) So there was uh, the first season, the much maligned first and only season of, yeah. I might have... Much and, by the way, justly maligned. Right, yeah. There might have been a character... in subsequent seasons that was based on me and my recapping skills, but that never made it to a second season, did it? So there was, the LA Times called me to comment on it fairly early in the run. It was probably after only like three or four episodes had aired. And even by then, by that second episode, when they did that terrible Gilbert and Sullivan parody, I was like, oh, this is Which is straight out of Sorkin 101. Because I really liked the pilot, actually. I thought the pilot had a whole lot of I did too. Actually, Dave and I did too. And then, but the end of that second episode was at Gilbert and Sullivan. So probably after three or four episodes, uh, the LA Times had uh, called me for a quote, and I basically said what had was emerging at the time which was that uh this seems like a show about a comedy show written by people who don't know how to write comedy um and the thing actually didn't end up getting published for like another two months so by the time that got published that was like you know no shit sherlock kind Mm -hmm. of moment Mm -hmm. everybody had sort of come up with that yeah whatever um but in that same article, there was this comedy troupe who was actually doing uh, reenactments of the uh, the Studio 60 scripts. Yep. Uh, and basically making fun of them sure. out in L.A. And Sorkin took a specific uh, objection to them and made some derogatory comments about them in the press. Well, that they were unemployed comedy writers. That's what it was. Which, by the way, one of the guys in that troupe, there was a story that went around a couple of weeks after the social network came out about him responding to criticism about his female characters on some dude's blog. Yeah. And it was that dude. Well, so I guess he and Sorkin buried the hatchet. One of the women in that group, I ended up, uh, I work with to this day in my day job. 
I didn't know that. And when I first started That's it, hilarious. Uh, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Zach, yes. actually said, so uh, you and uh, this girl know each other. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, you were both quoted in the same LA Times article about Aaron Sorkin. So Aaron so, Sorkin bringing people together. Yeah. And I have a little more background about that story also, because yeah. I know someone who is involved with it. I don't know if she would want to be identified as yeah. whatever. I don't think it's a secret. But right. she, she told me that, so that story came out in the LA Times like on Christmas Day yeah. of whatever year that was 07 I guess yes 07 no 06 06 yeah um and so right after that was the television critics association press tour in January and so part of that was a studio uh like a set visit right at studio 60 and so Aaron Sorkin was there and it was all la la here's our show but while I have you all here oh no and then he and then the doors go clunk and again I wasn't there so this is this is my characterization of the story that it was told to me fifth hand so don't sue me I don't know how accurate this is but the story that I heard via hearsay don't sue me was that he specifically had issue with that story yes and was was very critical of its publication at all and said he he objected to Two things. One, that the critical drumbeat was turning into this thing about it, all the stories are about how no one likes it, and that makes people think it's not a likable show, where it's like, ah, uh, yeah. no. <laughs> it's not a likable show for reasons. Right, yeah. and, and you can't be like, it's the, it's the coverage that's making people not like it. Right. People don't like it. Right. You can't report a story about how much people like it if that's not true. Right. As much as you would wish that people would. Right. Sir. Yeah. That was part A. And part B was that he objected to nobodies from the internet, like Joe Reed, mm-hmm. being quoted as though their opinions had as much weight as real journalists. This is true. And so, again, this has gone on to be a theme in his work of, yeah. you know, the idea of some people's voices are more privileged than others. Right. And some people deserve to right. have their voices listened to. And some people, you know, it's he had a line that he was trotting out around the social network where it's like, everyone should have a voice, not everyone yeah. should have a megaphone. But best, the best part of that uh, that LA Times article, though, was that that came out either right before or right after that. W- I believe it was the WGA Awards where mm-hmm. Tina Fey got something for 30 Rock. Yes. And her speech included um, something about uh, how do you like my dress? Uh, it's the same. Uh, it's the same one that Aaron Sorkin was going to wear, except it's shorter and funny. <laughs> and uh, and so that was immediately like his whole thing about how it's just nobodies on the internet who aren't liking the show. Right. And then bam, Tina Fey weirdly like had her back, and it was just like, okay, great, right. cool, fine. So that's that's a long version. I think there's stuff that you didn't even know about that, Dave Cole. Learn something new every day. Indeed. You're on the Extra Hot Great Podcast. <laughs> um. I know you don't have to hate the character in order for them to um, be eligible for this uh, Pierce Award, but I do hate Counselor Troy. I think she is completely uh, extraneous. She does not add anything to the plot except for provi- perhaps providing a uh, love interest for, um, what's his face, you know, the first officer guy. Ooh, I can't, Riker, Riker, of course. I can't believe I forgot that. And um, her only purpose seems to be uh, wearing cleavage outfits. <coughs> Um, sensing, quote-unquote, sensing emotions that are completely obvious to anyone, and um, wearing cleavage outfits. <laughs> so, in my opinion, she is a prime example of a character that does not need to be present and was probably a last-minute add-in who um, producers perhaps felt was necessary for amping up the uh, sex appeal of an otherwise completely nerdy show. A completely nerdy show that I otherwise love. (laughs) 
So thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Uh, keep up the good work. And um, talk to you later. Bye. All right. Um, I edited it out of the live version that you'll be hearing. But wow, did I ever screw up the second <laughs> part of that clip. <laughs> um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think Counselor Troy is one of many female characters who seem to exist only to make it clear to the audience that a male protagonist is not, in fact, gay. Because mm. otherwise you might not be sure. So there's a lot of a lot of action films where a woman just shows up for no reason except to kiss a guy well, for you know, five seconds. If you write in a character to a show that can read minds and tell you what people are thinking, right? You you really just can't use her like you actually would use her, or else there would be no tension in any of the missions. Right. Yeah. Captain, he's gonna kill us. No, Captain, he's good. Actually he just wants to trade for cookies. Like yeah. this is information that you could use <laughs> and then immediately be out of danger. Yeah. Um so they had to pull back on what right. she actually does. She could so, only sense you, feelings. So, you know, she'd be basically, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the Romulans just, you know, fired 24 photon torpedoes at our warp drive. Uh, what do you think's happening, Counselor Troy? I sense anger. I'm like, oh, well, no shit. Thank <laughs> you very much, uh, Kreskin. You know. It is kind of bullshit that she got a non-regulation uniform also. Yeah. Well, there's a proud tradition of that in Star Trek. I suppose that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, good addition. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, it, and it is a good show. Yeah, it is. I loved it yeah. at the time. Wow, I'm it, kind of adrift. I only have seen it, like a handful of Star Trek. It next does, yeah, Trust it us, it we, are, we and she are right. Yeah. Yeah, it does not age terribly well, but... You no, know, but it has a few ones. classic episodes. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys. Do you know what time it is now? I think perhaps... It's no. game time. Oh! All right. This week, we're going to be playing a little game called Hot Potato. In. Are you scared? Yes. You should be. <laughs> the potato there's is a, so hot. There's a lot on the line because the season standings we're right tied. now are tied at three apiece. What? I have, oh, to, this... I have to protect my not behind standing. <laughs> In Hot Potato, I will be reading you a category in which you can list various things that belong to that category. One person will start. The other person has to answer relatively quickly, back and forth, until one person can no longer answer. When that person can no longer answer, the other person wins that point. There are five categories in this game. Do we understand the rules? Yes. Yes. The first... Wait a minute. Yes. Are we trading back and forth, or we just go until you can't You're go You're trading anymore? back and forth, one okay. then the other, until yes. somebody okay, okay, cannot okay, do okay. it. Yep, got it. If, if I will be the arbiter of timing. Okay. Generally, it's probably about 10 seconds, but okay. we're not going to stopwatch no. it. Okay. I have a sixth sense for this, very well <laughs> Don't you worry about me being an unfair judge. Okay. The first category, I will have some audio follow-ups to give you a little time, extra time. Okay. So the, we'll ease into it. The first category will be a little more lenient. Okay. Are we ready? We're going to start with Tara. Okay. <laughs> Tara, the category is Simpsons characters voiced by Albert Brooks. Oh, Jesus age. Oh, uh, oh, Scorpio. By the way, Homer, what's your least favorite country? Italy or France? France. <laughs> Nobody ever says Italy. Next is... Oh, what is that guy's name? Um, I may accept descriptions if you do it really <laughs> well. The self-help guy. The self-help guru. 
Brad Goodman. Brad Goodman. Depression, insomnia, motor mouth, darting eyes, indecisiveness, decisiveness, <laughs> bossiness, uncontrollable, falling down, geriatric, profanity disorder. Or, or GPD. GPD. And chronic nagging. 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 Um, the uh, RV salesman guy. Is, is that a good siren? Am I approved? You ever known a siren to be good? <laughs> no, Mr. Simpson, it's not. It's a bad siren. This is gonna be my Waterloo. Um, there are three more. Three? Oh, I can only man. think of one. Oh gosh! Albert Brooks. Um. <laughs> oh dear, that means Tara wins the point. Who were the other three? There was the guy from the movie. There is the guy from the movie. Yes, it's uh, Russ Cargill's from the movie. Right, and who are the other there two? There is Tab right. Spangler, the coach's bombardment. bombardment. Oh, right. And right. then there is Jacques, the bowler. Oh, oh yeah. yes! That's the one I was trying to think of. Laugh out loud, you'll lose weight. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> All right, on to our second category. No audio, so it's going to be a little harder. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Oscar Best Pitcher Winners of the 1980s. All right, Joe, we'll start. Uh, Terms of Endearment. Yes. The Last Emperor. Yes. Um, Driving Miss Daisy. Correct. Gandhi. Correct. Uh, Chariots of Fire. Correct. Getting tough. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kramer vs. Kramer. <laughs> My dear, that is not correct. Ordinary people, Amadeus, oh. out of Africa, Platoon, Rain Man were not mentioned. Platoon. All right, that even sings up to one apiece. Good job, Joe. All right, here we go with the third round. TV Doctors. TV doctors. Tara starts. House. Uh, Meredith Gray. Mark Green. Uh, Doug Ross. Um, D- Peter Benton. Um, uh, 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 McDreamy. John Carter. Oh, God. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Sherry Stringfield's character on ER. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to accept that? I'm going to accept that. I'm so sorry. Wow. Well, if we can just keep naming I was going to say, we're just going to be... (laughs) Maria Bello's character from ER. Delamico. Delamico. What's her name? Do you want to make Joe answer one that's really... Joe, can you answer one from the distant past to mix it up and make up for your... Oh, uh, Marcus Welby. There we go. See, it all works out. Trapper John. (laughs) Trapper John. Um, Oh... Oh, there's Hawkeye so many Pierce. TV doctors. Oh, see, so was, many to go from. Yeah. And you Dr. Nick Riviera. One. And you know why? Because Dr. All Nick you could, Riviera. All you could think about was ER, wasn't it? I know. I couldn't get my head out of ER. I got well, stuck. Two points for Tara. I got you started on that one. You know why? Because I recapped that show. Yeah. One for Joe. All right, here we are. Round four of Hot Potato. Hot Potato, 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 Hot Potato. Law and Order series and movies. Law and Order series and movies. Tara. Movies? Shrugging. 
Okay, Law and Order, original Law and Order. Correct. Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Correct. Law and Order Criminal Intent. Correct. Law and Order Trial by Jury. You betcha. Um, Law and Order Crime and Punishment. Chung Chung. Law and Order Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, are we counting Conviction? Yep. Uh, Law and Order England? London? Ooh, I don't know if we're going to accept that. No! Time's ticking out for the correct answer or a different answer. Uh, Law and London? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Law and Order UK. Oh, fuck! And there was also the movie with Mike Logan. Law but and I Order what it's Exiled. Called. That's right. Exiled. Uh, also, um, there is. You mentioned Crime and Punishment. Yep. There's also a Russian version called Law and Order: Div- uh, Division of Field Investigation. Whoa! Wow. I bet that's great. And if great. we ran out of those, I wasn't sure we would or not. I also was going to accept Law and Order universes shows, such as Homicide, where Munch oh. came from. Oh. Okay. Other ones include uh, Deadline, In Plain Sight, and New York Undercover. Also had Law and Order people on those shows. Interesting. Well, oh my. Well, do you want to do the fifth round for Let's shits and giggles? Let's play string, yeah. Well, this is a tough one, I think, but uh, let's see how it goes. Movies involving black holes or wormholes. <laughs> oh my lord. How can this list possibly be complete? Oh, he found a website. Uh... Contact. Contact, correct. Um, Serenity? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, the black hole? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Event Horizon? Yep. Um, Star Trek, the most recent movie? Star Trek, 2009? the most recent movie, correct. Star- that was the subtitle. Star Trek Generations? <laughs> uh, yep. Um... Uh... Well, that made the game a little closer right. at three to two, so we have that. But it looks like Tara won this one. Congratulations, Woo. Tara. In your face! <laughs> oh, my. Oh. Perfect time to talk about the winner and loser of the week. I agree. And, uh, you know, guys, we've been going for a while without um, a theme, but right. I wrangled somebody into producing a theme for us this week, and I'm very excited. <laughs> it's a big get. Ooh. Hello. This is Elton John. Hope you are doing well, Extra Hot Great Gang. I created this theme song just for you guys, so I hope you enjoy it. Win, win, winners and the Jets. Ha ha ha. Just kidding. Here it is. A, one, two, a one, two, three, four. And it seems to me, you'll live your life like a winner of the week. Knowing how to be cool when the rankings were released. And I would have liked to have known you, but I was a little meek. Your Q rating dropped long before. <laughs> you were declared loser of the week. Wow, I didn't know he was a fan. He must listen to Linda's podcast, too. We should note that uh, the lyrics to that were written by Bernie Toppin. <laughs> so. That's really, that's, that's a very good point. Thank you. <laughs> Who's the winner of the week, guys? 
Uh, the winner of the week is Gwyneth Paltrow for her guest appearance on Glee this week yep. and ensuring that in a season where nobody could agree on what was good except for the episodes that were really, really bad, everybody seemed to agree that Gwyneth Paltrow was fantastic, and she was, even when tasked with seemingly impossible uh to get right things like singing the Forget You version of the CeeLo song. She came through with charm and humor, and she was very funny, and she was very likable. And if she does intend to steamroll on her way to an Oscar with Country Strong, this was a good first step. Um, Yeah, she was great. And it it gave her an opportunity also to show off her great Spanish accent. Honestly. It's very authentic with this lisping S's and everything. And her humble but enthusiastic dance style. Yes. She was cute. She was great. I I, did, her. I enjoyed her, too. Yeah. Uh, loser of the week is a little show called Medium, which oh, has yes. now been canceled for the second time. It was canceled by NBC in 2009. Right. Revived for CBS. And then CBS this week decided, uh, no, just kidding. Sorry, Medium. <laughs> uh, which is not surprising because my interest in Medium was always extra small. Oh. Thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> the loser week was uh, picked just for that joke. I'm going to assume. <laughs> um, yes. I'll have this to say about that joke about medium. It was well done. <laughs> that's it probably day. wasn't rare either. That's smart. All right, guys. Well, that's it for another episode of Extra Hot. Great. We signed up with a look back at GI Joe and inducted the body from Buffy into the canon. We crowned another winner and loser of the week, caught up with Lucy. Shopping. And put on our moo-moos and lit up our parliaments for Aaron Sorkin. We felt an extraneous uh, sense of entitlement about uh, Councillor Troy, would you not agree? (laughs) And uh, Tara, I don't know what the hell that was. (laughs) One extra hot potato, what? (laughs) It was an extra hot potato. Oh my god, I'm so tired. <laughs> I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano. Yes. And Joe Reed. That's right. I thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week where I will be less lightheaded. We're Cold you'll be joining us soon. A band of vipers playing No, 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 no. Great place for a singles weekend, huh, guys? Yeah, we could take our dates for a swim in the ever-popular Aztec pool of death. (laughs) This is is episode seven of the Extra Hot Great Podcast for the week of uh, November 22nd. 22nd? Uh, My name is David Cole, call sign... uh, Call sign Audible. Joe. Joe Reed. Wait, call I... sign Coax. <laughs> call sign Coax. <laughs> oh, this is. Do we need to, to do this again? Right quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh.